This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, taking questions in the mailbag. I know we haven't done a mailbag in a few weeks because, honestly, there's just been so many other things to deal with in the show and talk about. But lots of questions now um, and you know, a lot of recruiting questions here this week, especially about local prospects, Nate. And, and the first question is about Ernest Hausman from Columbus. Um, he's been on a roll with lots of offers, as have many kids around the state. But with the new offers to Ernest Hausman, what is your confidence level on him committing to Nebraska? Well, I'm still fairly optimistic that that's going to happen. Um, it may it may stretch his recruitment out a bit, though, because I, I do think that he's going to be taking visits or wanting to take visits and and at least you know do do his due diligence and and do a little research and build some relationships with these other coaching staffs because you only go through the recruiting process once. So, um, I mean, when Arizona State, Michigan, and Boston College come come in and, and offer you a boom, boom, boom without ever having stepped foot in the state, I think, you know, it might, it might give you – Entice a, you. Yeah, it might, it might give you a little, uh, little you know, incentive to be like, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit and, and see what else comes along. So – uh, I still think it will happen. I think he, I think he'll be a Husker in the end, but I think it's going to prolong his uh, recruitment a little bit. Yeah, more. And I, we can't, you can't blame any of these kids. I mean, if, if you are getting legitimate Power Five offers and you haven't been able to go anywhere, why wouldn't you go take a few trips? I mean, I, I think you owe it to your family and yourself to, to to go through that process. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, next question: What two positions on the team will improve the most in 2021 based on younger? production and for me guys this was a little bit almost easy for me I, I thought wide receiver was one for sure um, and then offensive line I, yeah, I, I think mean, we all have the same answer for that one because they're the two most obvious because I think we all like the running back though yeah I, I think offensive line though I mean you you saw actual like tangible evidence that there's some young players that are really uh, on their way that you know with with a little bit more time a little more time together uh, as a group they, they could be something special. And then wide receiver, I picked them because, one, I think that there's some good young talent to work with, but also I don't know how much worse they could get. I mean, there's only <laughs> only place to go is up. The bar up. is pretty low. Yeah, exactly. So, and you're talking about adding, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in FCS uh, to that group. You you're hopefully are getting Omar Manning in, in that group, and, and maybe he can be what, what we all think, um, you know, what we thought he could be. So, I mean, just those two right right there. I mean, if that happens, that, that could really change the entire that that entire position. Yeah, it will be interesting with running back after Marquis step though, mm-hmm. like Marvin Scott, Ronald Tompkins, Gabe Irving, Sevion, um, Sevion Morrison. Yeah. You go down the line. I mean, there's a lot of material there, and just who's who, who's going to take it? Who's going to step up and claim that number two spot? And something I said on the chat this week was I felt like a lot of those guys weren't prepared to ever be the guy because Dedrick Mills was here. Maurice Washington was here. They always have had perceived guys they wanted to be the guy where those younger guys really never got the reps. 
And what will happen if some of these younger guys get more of those reps? Well, and last year too, it seemed like every one of them missed at least a week or some or more with injuries or for whatever reason they got they got written out of the game plan. And Marvin I, Scott had a false positive. Yeah, and then Sevian didn't play all year. I mean, just then just he crazy. tested positive. Yeah, and then you know Ronald Tompkins starts out as your number two, and then he completely disappears because of injury. So like, you know, it's one of those deals where they just haven't had a solidified number two. It's been this revolving door of guys that get in spot time here and there every other couple weeks and that's not going to get anybody better so you would hope that maybe while they have a lot of options eventually that rotation gets pared down to you know two or three known commodities with presumably step and then a couple more guys that are going to be your week in week out backups yeah that, that's a weird thing about the running back position is I mean, if you if you came into this situation and just looked at the stats and didn't know anything about Nebraska football, you'd think that that position was just completely like a barren wasteland. There no talent at all in that room. But I think there's a lot of talent in that room. It's just one thing after another prevented those guys from really being, you know, having an opportunity to see the field a whole lot. So, uh, or on a consistent basis. So. Um, yeah, I think that's a that is obviously a position group that I mean, if you just have one guy really take the reins and and rise to the occasion, um, you know, you could really uh, increase the the production level. We had a scheduling question. Why does it feel like Nebraska, compared to their Big Ten West counterparts, always gets screwed as far as getting like they never get like the easier crossovers? But it's getting to the point, guys. There really aren't easy crossovers. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when Indiana's good now, I mean, like <laughs> they like, got Rutgers last year and they beat them. They got Maryland the year before they beat them. But here's the reality: Nebraska had a six-year scheduling series with Ohio State. This is the sixth year of that series, so. We probably won't see Ohio State on a Nebraska schedule for a while after the six-year matrix is done, but then they start a new series with Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, so here's the deal, though. I mean, like, a lot of it is because money. it's Nebraska, yeah. too, and it's money, and Nebraska fans are going to watch those games, and they want more viewers on their prime games. And so Nebraska-Maryland, you know, that doesn't do so much, but Nebraska-Michigan, Nebraska-Ohio State – I mean, that's that's a regardless of what Nebraska has been over the last decade, that is a national game that people are going to watch. And so that's that's your answer. That's why Nebraska always gets the perceived hard schedule is because people want to are going to watch them and there's going to generate revenue for the for the conference. Yeah, I know the the easy knee jerk reaction is that, well, the Big Ten wants to just keep sticking it to us. They want to milk Nebraska for all their work. I mean, that may be, but that's not objective number one. Objective number one is to, to line your pockets with money, and Nebraska fans are very good at, at helping the Big Ten do that. So, I mean, and when you pair it up with another fan base that's also very good at, at doing that and, and supports their program, you've got uh, you got the makings to, to, you know, make a lot of money. Nebraska basketball in a lot of ways, they're, they're like Indiana basketball right now. I mean – like Indiana basketball has Nebraska a, football. Nebraska football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, as far as the comparison, I mean, a, a blue blood that hasn't really delivered like a blue blood, but they still deliver the ratings mm-hmm. like a blue blood. And they have a fan base that still demands championship performance, even though they haven't tasted championship performance in a long, long time. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of comparisons to be made for that. And uh, Indiana basketball, I mean, they've been relatively good at times, but haven't been nearly what that fan base wants it to be. And uh, that's very much the case here at Nebraska. This is an evolving conversation, guys, on this next question. Do you guys still believe Nebraska will pursue a transfer quarterback? And, you know, obviously the wait-and-see approach is going to be there through the spring. 
I, I still lean towards that they will bring in another quarterback unless Logan Smothers just comes out there and looks unbelievable this spring. And they're like, you know what? If Adrian goes down, we want to see Logan Smothers play. Yeah, I mean, that that's the only X factor in my opinion. And also, too, I think they want to let it play out a little bit and see what else is there on the transfer market because – I mean, obviously, the, the junior college season is, is still yet to be played, and uh, the, there's going to be more additions to the D1 transfer market after spring ball, and guys kind of see their place on the depth chart going into the summer. And uh, I mean, so I think that waiting not only to see what you have with Smothers, but also what other potential options could be available in a couple months is definitely the right move for Nebraska. And I, I agree with you. I think in time they will add to that room with a, a more veteran piece of that quarterback mix. Yeah, they're they're at least going to be pursuing some some transfer quarterbacks, whether that's from the FBS level or you know junior college or whatever. But I, I think that uh, it makes sense to to be able to. Um, I mean, you can't get them on campus right now anyway, so it makes sense to take your time and to see what's in the portal and, and to, to see what you have, too, out of Logan Smothers. I mean, you weren't really able to, to you know, get a great feel for, for what he could do last year. He was, you know, when he got here, he was just fresh off of an injury that he suffered the last high school game of his career. And, um, you know, and, and obviously you want to you wanna see what Adrian's got and if he's, if he's been able to improve or whatever. But I think that, uh, you know, Nebraska is playing it the right way, but they're definitely going to pursue some quarterbacks, I'm sure of it. Another final question here, uh, interesting question. If graduate assistant coaches can do more than analysts, why not just make Bill Bush a graduate assistant? And, you know, there was a time where that could happen. But the NCAA, um, and Nate, you could probably speak on this, uh, put in a rule where you, you can't be more than like seven years removed, I believe, from being a student. Um, but there was a time when like Dan McLaughlin came back as yeah. a grad assistant and he was like a 20 some year high school coach in high school football in Nebraska. And, um, uh, who else was a graduate assistant? Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his Jimmy name. Burrow. Well, Jimmy Burrow was, and, and, I mean, and so was, uh, he's Frank's offensive coordinator. Why am I drawing? Tim Albin. Yeah. Tim Albin was, a, and he was the head coach of an at, NAIA college. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I mean, you, you, that's how it used to be, though. I mean, you if you were going to be straight out of you know right right out of um, your, your collegiate playing career or whatever, and getting into coaching, it was going to be really hard for you to to get a graduate assistant job because you had you had some grizzled old veterans that were you know kind of brought more to the table. So um, you know that, but that rule was for that, and it was also to keep you know Alabama from having Butch Jones as as a GA or whatever. So, and you um, you have to take a class like legitimately. Yeah, right? you have to go to school. You you have to you have to do homework. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I'd go into the GA office late at night when I worked at Nebraska, and they'd be sweating bullets trying to get their trying to get their assignments done their on, thesis uh, paper yeah for <laughs> seriously and and they've got on one screen they had their schoolwork and then on the other screen they were breaking down you know the punt coverage uh, from whoever so it was uh it was interesting to, Vince Marrow was the last that. old GA I think yeah because he wasn't an analyst he was a GA yeah he was a GA Just picturing Vince Marrow doing like a, a book report like a paper for some English class or something like that I mean Vince Marrow <laughs> went Vince from Vince Marrow paying someone else to do that <laughs> book report he, he went from coaching like at the Omaha Nighthawks to becoming a GA yeah I mean I mean it's a loophole that you know Nebraska was smart to take advantage of it's just it's like the new analysts now you can bring in but you can pay analysts yeah. more money you yeah. couldn't you couldn't pay GAs a salary right it was a stipend no, correct it was a stipend yeah I mean they were essentially I mean, 
it was like they were a student athlete too. I mean, they got a stipend, um, you know, and where they would make their money at the time was from summer camps. And so and speaking events and from speaking events. So the GAs always had speaking events, um, you know, basically every week during the season for sure. And then, you know, during, during the summer camps, you know, they ran the camp store and they got all the money. Pizza sales, Gatorade sales. Pizza sales, Gatorade sales, yeah. And and then they would split some of that, you know, other people would get a cut that helped out. But that's how they they made their money. And, you know, and then, of course, they'd get a a camp share, um, you know, from from everything that that brought in. But camps are different now, and obviously the rules are different now. Camps are cheap now, too. There's no money in camps like it used to be. Camps are 50 bucks a kid. It used to be four or 500 bucks a kid. Yeah, it used to be a three-day event, and it was at least, it was at least 450 bucks. And then you had, you had rentals, you know, if you didn't bring your own pads, it was 50 bucks for, for a set of pads for the three days and, and on down the line. I mean, it was, it was very expensive. Um, you know, and for a lot of those kids, it was a fantasy camp. They, they had no business. I mean, it wasn't a recruiting deal. Um, yeah, they, they probably wanted to get better for their own high school team, but they were, they they were never going to play at the next level, but you know, and then prices went up with housing and, and recruiting changed everything where the, you know, kids wanted, they didn't want to spend three days at one place. They wanted to one day, they wanted to see three schools in three days. And so everything changed. Yeah. It's interesting to follow that. And then the speaking and all the other extra revenue streams for coaches changed too. Um, and Sean, I kind of shut all that down, yeah. um, where the fringe benefits that those guys used to get they don't get all that stuff anymore because it's 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 a little bit more tightened up now uh, compliance wise but good discussion on the old GA days when 55 year old GAs were working at Nebraska but we come back we'll close the show with recruiting you're listening here to the Husker Line show <laughs> 